Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, we'll continue with uh, our hymn of the month. I think for time purposes, we'll just do the first two stanzas today. First two stanzas. Stanzas one and two. Comfort, comfort ye my people, speak ye peace, thus saith our God. Comfort those who sit in darkness, mourning neath their sorrows lone. Speak ye to Jerusalem of the peace that waits for them. Tell her that her sins I cover, and her warfare now is over. Yea, her sins our God will pardon, blotting out each dark misdeed. All that well deserved his anger, he no more will see or heed. She hath suffered many a day, now her griefs have passed away. God will change her pining sadness into ever-springing gladness. We'll continue with the Catechism Memory Work from the Table of Duties of Civil Government in the Bible. Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Romans 13, 1-2. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In Luther's morning prayer, I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have... Give me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen.
right, uh, kids can go up to Sunday school. So, a uh, couple things on the uh, hymn of the month. I wanted to point out that stanza two, that the uh, remember the context of the hymn we talked about last time is that of the Israelites in the Babylonian captivity. And that is analogous to us in the captivity of sin. And one of the things that I think sometimes the church neglects to talk about is that sin doesn't only affect a person in the, in the sense that the person is sinful and commits sins and needs forgiveness for that. But the corruption of sin in the world also affects the person, um, everybody really, but especially Christians, in that they suffer things that are unfair, injustices, right? And that we we talked about injustice from Habakkuk one on Wednesday night. But one of the themes in Scripture in the Babylonian captivity is that there are righteous Israelites. There's a faithful remnant that suffers the consequences of the Babylonian captivity, and that's unfair, it's an injustice, and it's sad. Now, God allows it to happen with his good purposes in mind, and he knows, and He promises he's going to bring them out of it, but um, I just wanted to point out this, some of these phrases here, right? So she hath, talking about Israel, she hath suffered many a day, now her griefs have, have uh, passed away, God will change her pining sadness into ever-springing gladness. And so this is one of the themes of Advent is that one of the things we're waiting for, right? Advent's about waiting. It's about Jesus coming. One of the things that we're waiting for is for God to vindicate his people, right? For God to um, finally bring everything back into order, right? To judge the wicked and to make right the injustices that have occurred, right? And right now we live in this world of injustice, Right? We live in this world where things aren't fair all the time, right? And um, while we suffer, we wait, right? And when Jesus comes back again, God will change the griefs will pass away. God will change our pining sadness into ever springing gladness. Right? So that's why the themes of Advent is this idea of um, not just like we need to be forgiven, so we need Jesus to come, but also oh, this problem of sin in the world creates an unjust and an unfair and a wicked world that we have to be vindicated from. So anyway, I just wanted to point that out um, about the hymn of the month and about Advent. All right, any questions on that? All right, so, or comments. In the catechism memory work, we have the Table of Duties of Civil Government and uh, these famous verses from Romans chapter 13, that government is from God and that we should uh, be subject to the governing authorities and that government is instituted by God. And, of course, the main point here is to say that Christians are, and, and well, actually, let's just say it about God himself. God is a God of order, not of chaos, right? This is what Paul says. And I believe that's in First Corinthians, that God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. And in ordering the world, right, in creating the world, 
he didn't just leave everyone up to their own devices, right? When uh, e- even before the fall into sin, you could rightfully say, I think that Adam and Eve, they they had a government of sorts, right? Adam was the governor of the land, right? And and he had to. There was an order to things, right? He had to uh, have dominion over the animals, and he had to keep things in in a certain way, right? And promote peace. Now, before the fall and the sin, that was it just happened, right? It was easy. But after the fall and the sin, the government is also given to and and mainly given then to punish wickedness and to promote peace. And we need that order, right? We can't just live in a, a place where there's no law and no law enforcement, right? This is what Paul's going to continue to say in Romans 13, that the government doesn't bear the sword in vain, right? If if we want people to behave themselves, we need uh, uh, some sort of law, law and order to, to keep things. That's exactly what why we use the phrase law and order, to keep things in order. And so uh, Christians are not anarchists, right? Um, we... We do respect and rely on the government to promote peace and punish wickedness. And so the other thing I want to say about this is that that means Christians should care about politics and about government, right? I some uh, I think there in in America we have this idea of separation of church and state, and we can talk about what that means if on as a side conversation another time, but. Um, I think sometimes Christians have taken that a little too far and you know, said there's this thick wall between the church and the state, so basically we should never say anything about the government. Well, that's not really what the Bible teaches, right? The Bible says the government's given for our good, and we should be the ones encouraging the government, right? We should be the ones caring about that the government's doing their job, right? Because we know as Christians what right and wrong is, right? And as as you well know, the government can lose sight of what right and wrong is, right? So, so we it, it's it's on Christians to care about this, right? We shouldn't just separate ourselves and say, oh, we don't need the government, right? This is not what Paul says. Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, right? And if that's true, then we have a stake in the game, right? We have skin in the game. So, um, anyway. Just some things to think about. Yes, yeah, Steve. Well, the very next line is there is no authority except from God. So when we read the Bible and we read what God says, then we see where that right. diversion is. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, all truth is God's truth, right? And uh, God is the ultimate authority. So if he's told us what's right and wrong, he's told us what's good for us, what's not good for us, right? We need um, the government needs to see that, and then and then we also need to encourage that. All right, um, that brings us back to Ezekiel. So last last week we covered the kind of introductory materials to Ezekiel, and today we're going to start looking at some of the key passages. So let's uh, look at this first initial vision that Ezekiel has in chapter 1, around verses 4 through 28. Now, uh, trying to decide if I want to read all of this or not. 
I'm just going to read. Uh, I might end up reading all of it, but I'm just going to start reading and then we'll kind of go through it. Then I looked and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself. And brightness was all around it and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber out of the midst of fire. So there's this this whirlwind of uh, cloud and fire coming, which re- what does that remind you of, right? The a cloud and fire. Yeah, in the Exodus, when they're being led in the wilderness, right? A pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. So um, immediately you can kind of see here that this is this is the Lord. And within it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance that they had. The likeness of man, each had four faces, and each one had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. Okay, so we have um, this kind of angelic figures, right? And there's four of them, four, these four living creatures. And these are, um, we could call them angels. I, I mean, they're not exactly angels per se, right? They're, these, they're just described as these living creatures. And they have wings, right? And they have faces, so they're like angels. But then we also find out they have a calves wing or calves feet here, right? And um, this is notice the thing that's so great about these very imaginative, and by imaginative I don't mean made up, I mean filled with images, right? Um, these these prophecies that are filled with these images th- that Ezekiel has in in spades is that they draw together all these scriptural themes, right? So we have like the wings like angels, but then we also have the calves' feet, which what is the psalmist constantly talking about that God's going to do? He's going to make our feet like the feet of a deer on the mountains, right? And so these creatures have have these kind of calves' feet. They're sparkled like the color of, of burnished bronze, so that recalls all the glory of the temple, Right, that there there's things made of burnished bronze. These are valuable things. And their wings touched one another, and the creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. So they're on a mission, right? Uh, they're going somewhere. So you got these four uh, these four creatures that are coming in this whirlwind of of the fire and the cloud. And the likeness of their faces each had the face of man. And each of the four had the face of the lion on the right side. Each of the four had a face of an ox on the left side. So they have different, four different uh, faces, right? Like it's just one a f- head, though, right? Yeah, one head, like a face on each side. And you got a human face on the front, but then you got um, a, a lion and an ox and and an eagle. Now, interestingly, man, I, I should have looked this up because I'm, the, I'm not actually good at this kind of stuff, but... Um, I have friends that care more about this than me. The uh, the four evangelists, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so the four gospel writers, are in church art his in the history of church art are often connected with these four faces. So I'm probably going to get this totally wrong, but I want to say in church art, um. I think it's these four faces. Maybe it's something else. I'm pretty sure it's these four faces. I think John is the man, 
and then maybe Matthew's the lion and Mark is the ox and then Matthew or Luke's the eagle, something like that. Anyway, anyway, you can see these figures appear in church art and sometimes they're connected with the four evangelists um, because the, the idea there, right, is that these creatures, as we're, we're going to see in a second, these creatures are carrying the throne of, of Christ. And that's what the evangelists do is they they um, bring the message of Christ into the into the church. OK, so anyway, interesting stuff. All right. So you got these these four creatures. Uh, and by the way, here, uh, um, I would be remiss to say we already talked about this last week. We're not I'm going to try hard not to do a Revelation Bible study, but you can if you've read Revelation before, you can see here immediately. You can't understand the book of Revelation if you don't have this already. Right, because what happens in the book of Revelation? Well, there's these four angel, these four living creatures. Right, sometimes they're elders, sometimes they're angels. But John picks up on this image immensely in the book of Revelation. All right, thus were their faces; their wings were stretched upward. Two of their wings touched one another, and two covered their bodies. And each one, and uh, that's that image of the angel, right? And you can remember Isaiah chapter six, where you had the uh, Seraphim, those are seraphim, right? Who had six wings, two they covered their face, two they covered their bodies, and with two they flew, or two their feet, and two they flew. All right, so you kind of have that same image there again. And each one went straight forward, and they went wherever the spirit wanted to go, and they did not turn when they went. Right, so um, it's. Uh, kind of, um, we'll see in, in a second. They have these wheels on the bottom, but it's uh, kind of like those. <laughs> uh, this is a weird analogy, but it's kind of like those omnidirectional uh, forklifts. Have you seen that? You know, I'm talking about where the the omnidirectional wheels on the forklifts, where you, you can drive the forklift, but then it just like slides any direction you want it to, right? Because they, they, they have these special wheels on the bottom that are, can go in any direction. Right, so you don't have to actually turn. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of what is going on here. There's these these creatures that, as we'll see, they have wheels on the bottom and they're carrying the, this throne, but they're going straight ahead. But they go wherever the spirit wants to go. Right. So, um, and that reminds me of John three. Right, the the spirit when Jesus is talking about baptism and about regeneration, he says uh, the spirit breathes where it will right um or which can also be translated the wind blows where it will so uh, this is the idea is that the spirit of god is is guiding and the spirit the spirit always has this guiding feature right so like after jesus is baptized the spirit drives jesus out into the wilderness okay as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire. All right, that's Isaiah 6 again. All right, so you get these, um, remember in the glory of the Lord in Isaiah 6, you have the angel who grabs the burning coals with the tongs. This time, the four living creatures have the appearance of burning coals, right? They're, they're burning hot with the glory of the Lord. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went lightning. Okay, so they um, fire in the Bible is always about God's presence, right? So we have the fire 
the pillar of fire that guides the Israelites in the wilderness. We have the burning bush. We have, um, what other fire do we have? And at Pentecost, we have the tongues of fire, right? This is always God's, the fire is God's burning presence. Well, this time it's burning so hot that it's shooting out lightning, right? Um, and of course, God is the God of the wind and the waves and and the storms. And so we have uh, lightning going out like of the creatures. And the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like a flash of lightning. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their working was like the color of beryl. I don't know what color that is. Does anyone know? Or do anyone has it? Crystallite. Okay. So maybe they're like crystal wheels. I don't know. No, crystal. Oh, crystal light. I have to look that up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. I don't, it's not drawing any biblical uh, images for me, but no. I'll have to think. I feel like maybe it's something there. But, all right. I'm sure there is something there. This is the thing is like with the, when you get these images, everything means something, right? Everything connects to something else. And all four had the same likeness, and the appearance of their workings was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. And when they moved, they went forward in any one of the directions. That's what I was just talking about, right? They're like those uh, forklift wheels. All right. When they moved, they went toward any one of the directions. They did not turn aside when they went. As for the rims, they were so high, they were awesome. And their rims were full of eyes. So unlike forklift wheels, these wheels have eyes on them, right? Mm. So... Um, but they see everything, right? This is the idea is that um, God, it's like Jonah, right? God, it doesn't matter if he's hiding in the belly of a ship or in the belly of, is put down into the belly of a well. God sees everything, right? He get, There's no hiding, right? And so since this, the throne of God can go in any direction and you have the wheels that have eyes all over them, the wheel and the wheel, um, this is, uh, the idea is that, that God sees all. Yeah, my mother told me why we needed to clean the top of the refrigerator. That's right. Because <laughs> yeah. God can see. He can, he can see it. You know. He's looking down, right, from I above. Said, like, myself and dad are the only ones. You're only five foot two. two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's a good one. All right. Um, wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went. We already talked about that a little bit. All right. Um, I'm skipping down a little bit. All right. Uh, Verse 22. The likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal stretched out over their heads. Okay. So the the idea of the firmament, right, in the creation narrative is you have basically creation is under the firmament. And then the firmament is the skies. Right in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Like the heavens is what's what is the firmament, and the the fir- above the firmament, and and within the firmament, that's the dwelling place of God. Right, so you have the heavens, right, where God dwells. And um, here, when Ezekiel gets this vision, it's like he's closer to the firmament now. He can see the dividing between heaven and earth, and it's this this crystal. Uh, uh, this awesome crystal uh, stretched out over their heads, right? And um, it's a beautiful image. I, 
my my parents they live on you know this piece of property in central Arkansas, but it just happens to be a a quartz crystal um uh, what's that called anyway ge- geographically uh or geologically yeah there so basically there's a in in the in our yard growing up I could dig up as much quartz crystal as I wanted I mean there's just there's tons and sometimes I mean most of them aren't like that amazing but and are pretty small but sometimes you get a real big one that's like got all these kind of crystal spears poking out of it and it's like really clear and uh anyway that's why I imagine right so you get that those like clear like geometrical crystals just like stretched out um as the firmament here And under the firmament, their wings spread out straight, each toward another. Uh, each one had two that covered their sides, so he kind of repeats himself here. When I went out, I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of many waters. Right. So this is a notice. This is an all-encompassing vision here. That it's not just a sight. There's also a sound. Um, you get this with Isaiah too, like in. Going back to Isaiah chapter 6, you get the, the smell of the incense filling the temple, right? I don't think we get any smells here. But you get this, you know, images, sounds, smells. It's this entire, like, sensory overload experience. And this is um, one of the reasons the church has, not not every church per se, but Lutherans have always valued the liturgy. Right and and worship the way that we do, where we have stained glass and we have colored vestments and we have um, the organ and the music and all of these things is because we're in in one sense we're trying to show that the glory of the Lord is is here, right? And if the glory of the Lord is here, we're not just gonna you know come and sit here in our sweatpants and you know turn on the radio and, you know, sit back in our seats and pretend like nothing's happening, right? This is why we sit and we stand and we kneel and and we sing and we um, move and, and fold our hands and close our eyes and open our eyes, right? All of these things um, are a sensory experience of, of the glory of the Lord, right? All right, so um, he hears the sound of the wings of the angels and it's like the noise of many waters right if you've ever been by the ocean you can kind of imagine what this sounds like a lot of those hymns and stuff they play the water to relax you and stuff like that you can sleep a lot better yeah yeah and that that brings up a good point notice like ezekiel the the image that's most like this in, in the Old Testament, I keep bringing it up as Isaiah 6. And neither in Isaiah 6 or here in Ezekiel, Ezekiel and Isaiah are, they they have the fear of the Lord. But the fear of the Lord is not this like, it's not the same as other fears, right? It's not like the fear of like, I don't know, what what's something people are afraid of? Yeah, it's not like the fear of like, yeah, being like a shark attack or something like that. 
there's there's a fear of like, okay, my eternal soul is at stake, right? Which is pretty intense. But there is this there is also a sense of calm to it. Where it's it's like they're in awe of the glory of the Lord and they are not afraid of in fact, if anything, they're like, I'm ready to die, not like I'm afraid of dying, if that makes sense. Right? There's a there's this calm here. And they're like ready to serve. You know? They're like it's like they've been called up to war and they're they're in they they honor the Lord. Right? And there's this there is a sense of calm here. So I like that you brought that up. Um Okay. And above the firmament over their heads was the likeness of a throne, an appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was a likeness of the appearance of a man high above it. Also from the appearance of his waist upward I saw, okay, and of course we're going to see here in a minute this is the Lord. And notice that how does the Lord appear to man? As a man, right? As a glorified man, yes, but as a man. But why is that? Because we're made in the image of God, right? It's actually Jesus came first and then us, right? The Son has existed forever. And the Son takes on human flesh, right? But that is the fulfillment of what he is, right? That is the fulfillment of, of him being God, that he is now the perfect man, right? The, God, man is made in the image of God. And so, um, when when the whenever we get these whenever we get these appearances of of the Lord, it's an appearance of of man, right? He he appears like a man. So we could rightfully say here, this is Jesus, right? Because Jesus is the one who reveals the glory of the Father to us, and he does so in the likeness of man. And it was also from his appearance above his waist upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around it. Right? So he's kind of surrounded in fire. And the appearance of his waist downward, I saw the appearance of fire with brightness all around it. So there's a kind of a hiddenness from his waist up and a brightness from his waist down, which is interesting. That The brightness definitely recalls the transfiguration. Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it, right? So we get recall a recollection of the rainbow, which is a, an image of God's mercy, right? Back from the, the time of Noah. And then we get the key verse here that ties everything together um, at the, the end of verse 28. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Okay, so to get us back a little bit to the context of Ezekiel, um, you remember I talked about this last week. Where is Ezekiel at? He's at the Kabar Canal, which is in Babylon. Right? He's been taken into captivity. And he sees there at the Kabar Canal, very far away from Jerusalem, the glory of the Lord. And the big question here is, why is it here? Right? Why is the glory of the Lord here? And the whole book of Ezekiel is going to be about the glory departed from Israel, 
right? And then how is God going to return his glory to his people, right? So right now, the glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, Ezekiel sees it, but it's been taken away from Jerusalem. And so we're going to, the really that is the theme of the book of Ezekiel, is where is the glory of the Lord and how are his people going to receive the glory of the Lord again, right? And that starts with this glorious image of the Lord in his glory. All right, any questions on, on that passage? Hard to imagine. Yeah, you can look up some church art too. Um, but yeah, I, I shouldn't really attempt to draw it, I don't think. But just to maybe give a little bit of an idea, the way I imagine it is you got, you know, the four uh, wheels here, right? And then you have the creatures that kind of come up from the wheels. And uh, the creatures have their wings, right? Um, you know, they got their, their wings that are doing different things. I don't, I'm not going to add it too much detail because I'm not an artist and I would not do it justice. And then you got the the faces, right? Um, that there's four faces on each. Creature here, and then there's they're upholding this this throne, right? And and on the throne is Jesus. And I'm not even going to attempt to draw Jesus, right? But you have, and then you have the the rainbow, right, on his waist and you have this this amber color kind of shining out right and then all kind of encompassing all of this is they're all burning like fire and there's lightning shooting out right and uh it's it really is quite the quite the image but it's very much like the image images you get of the throne of glory in revelation as well right there's a and and the four living creatures are are conveying this message so all right. I don't know if that helps at all, but <laughs> I looked up chrysolite. Oh yeah. It's peridot. It's um, a yellowish green transparent variety hmm. of olivine. It's a green. That's my birthstone. Is it? Oh, there you go. Um, well, I've seen like winter storms that come in, and the sky looks kind of green. Tornadoes. Well, yeah. Tornadoes and green. Yeah. So it's. Yeah, yeah. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I'll have to think about that. I don't know where else we really get a lot of green in the Bible. I mean, you get like the green, the green is always connected with like growth, you know, and like the the strawberry, but you, you get this yellow green. Yeah, maybe you're right about the sky. I, I got to look, do some word searches there and see if that comes up anywhere else in the scriptures. All right. Um, I have a, I also have a book that might, Tell me if there's anything kind of culturally re- re- relevant there. It's, it's hard for me because I'm colorblind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how many couches that I thought were black. They ended up being blue that I sold. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, my brother's colorblind, too. The So colorblindness, you know, most people, I assume with you it's the same way. That it's not that you can, it's not that everything's in grayscale. It's not that you can't, you can't see any color. No. It's just that the the range of colors is more limited, right? I mean, just this, this this week, 
I was looking for my black coffee pot, or pot, no, it was my cup. And I looked for an hour or so to try to find it, and it was one that I had, and I knew uh -huh. I used it a lot of times, and it ended up being blue. Oh, there you go. So when I asked somebody else about blue, did you see yeah. black? They didn't see it, but then I asked them for the right color, they would be known. So... So yeah, it's really about spectrum. It's like how, what's the range of colors that you can see? And that supposedly, you know, certain animals, I don't know how scientists figure all this out, but certain animals can see a wider range of colors, right? A bigger spectrum of the, the wavelengths of, of color, right? So birds, I know, especially um, a lot of certain birds are supposed to have a wider spectrum uh based on the i guess what scientists think about their eye um yeah so anyway what i wanted to say about that is that um sometimes i wonder like if this is something that these kinds of things if this is something we like lost in the fall like it because god in creation god has this you know, a array of colors, right? And they, even here we get this idea of the rainbow, which is all the colors, right? And um, I wonder, like, when we get to heaven, if we'll be able to see more colors, right? Things will be even more vivid. Right, right, yeah. That's, right, so um, that's something interesting to think about. All right, all right let's uh, jump over to chapter 3. Um, just a couple verses here, verses 17 through 19. And uh, Ezekiel, this is another theme that we're going to see throughout the book, is that Ezekiel is called a watchman for Israel. Okay, so if you think about this theme of where is the glory, right? So where is the glory? Then in chapter 3, 17 through 18, we're going to see that Ezekiel is watching, right? He's looking for the glory. He's looking for the glory. All right, so let's read this. Um, Son of man, I have made you. Oh, this is another interesting thing. So... Um, Jesus calls himself son of man constantly in the Gospels. When Jesus does it, it's a reference to Daniel, chapter 7, um, which I can we can talk about that another time. But in Daniel, chapter 7, what happens basically is that God is called the son of man. Now, Son of the other place that son of man occurs constantly is in the book of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel's called the son of man. But um, the significance in Ezekiel seems to be different than the significance in Daniel and how Jesus uses it. And, and in other words, it's the same phrase, but they don't really seem to line up exactly. Um, other than in this sense that as Ezekiel is the watchman for the glory of the Lord, that in some sense Ezekiel does share in that glory. He's he's given some of that that glory, right? And um, so it I don't know exactly what it means, but it it is interesting that God constantly calls Ezekiel, O son of man, right? 
And it seems to be this title of honor, right, that he's honoring Ezekiel with this title. But anyway, we'll talk about – we can talk more about that later. All right, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning for, from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. And I'm going to keep reading it here, actually. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you did not give him the warning, he shall die in his sin. And his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning. Also you have delivered your soul. And then he says, Arise, uh, the, the Lord... Um, then the hand of the Lord was upon me there, and he said to me, Arise, go into the plain, and there I shall talk with you. And then he goes out into the plain. Okay, but really just that first uh, verse, um, verse 17, is, is what we want to focus on. The, Ezekiel has made this watchman for the Lord. And what that means is that he's going to be this preacher of what the Lord has to say. And basically what he tells him there in verses 18 through um 21 is that he is going to give these prophecies both to the wicked and to the righteous. And if he fails uh, to give the prophecies he's supposed to give, that it's his fault, right? Mm -hmm. And this is a common theme throughout scripture, right? So like Romans 10, how are people supposed to hear if they don't have a preacher, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Um, as a side note, by the way, um, I, I wrote this article in the, this, for the December Messenger on listening to the scriptures and ha why there's not readings in the bulletins anymore. Um, well, not really why there's not readings in the bulletins anymore because that was more economical decision. But, um, but there is a value to not having them there. And the one of the things I didn't go into in that article, which I kind of wish I would have, is – this constant theme in the scriptures about hearing the scriptures. All right, so we're actually going to get it in the epistle reading, which I'm preaching on today, is um, that Paul says to hear the scriptures. And then uh, he does this in Romans 10 and 15, which I'm preaching on. He constantly says they listen to the scriptures, hear the scriptures, right? And and he tells people to hear the prophets, right? He never he barely ever says read. I mean, and there are there are written texts. Right there's the scrolls and whatnot, but but um, that's not the command. The command is to hear. So anyway, um, yeah. Well, you got to read the article if you want to talk about that, because that's that's what the article is about. But uh, anyway, so. Um, there, there's this constant theme in scriptures that uh, the, the preachers, the pastors, the prophets are incredibly important in this way that if – how are people supposed to know if no one tells them, right? How are they supposed to know both of the, their, their wickedness and of their righteousness if no one tells them, right? And so 
In Ezekiel, um, we'll find out later that no one's going to listen to him. But the Lord says it's still important that you speak, right? Because at least then they've heard. They've had the chance, right? And this is the Lord's graciousness as he wants to give them chance upon chance upon chance to hear his words and to respond, right? Um, but Ezekiel, it is uh, it is a stiff message in this way because Ezekiel has to do some things that, as we're going to see, are kind of insane <laughs> in, the, in the coming chapters. But um, it's the Lord's will that he gives every last-ditch effort to allow his people to hear of his, his mercy and his grace. So um, this is the task that Ezekiel is given, is to watch for the glory of the Lord and to point people to where the glory is, right? To, to give people um, to be a watchman on a tower, right? Uh, this kind of shining place where people can go and see, see their salvation. All right, let's uh, close with a word of prayer unless there's any comments or questions. Yeah, go ahead. Well, actually, the last verse in that chapter you're talking about, whoever will listen, let him listen. Whoever will refuse, let him refuse. For they are a rebellious house. Right. Yeah, Jesus picks that up in his preaching all the time, too. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. Right. Yep. All right. That's another hearing passage, right? He who has ears, let him hear. All right. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word to hear, to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. Uh, We pray that you would bless the hearing of your word today, and we pray that you would help us to always uh, see and, and hear what you would have us to hear. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word. And we thank you for all the wonderful gifts you give us. We pray that you would bless us today as we worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for all that you have done for us. And we pray this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.